0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit Christchurchlondon.org. It is so wonderful to be with you this morning. Let me just sort myself out. Ah, so good to see you. Isn't the sense of God's presence just amazing this morning? I almost feel like we could just worship for the whole time. Just so wonderful. Really good hearing about how God wants to turn our graves into gardens and for the heavenly strength that we so often need. Um, My home service is the Stockwell service and a big hello from all of us today. Um, Just thank you so much for praying for us over the last few months as we've been looking for leaders. As you know, Helen, well, as you probably know, we have two new leaders, Helen and Shininga Marasha. They started about three weeks ago, and we're just having such a fun time. It's really fun. Not that I want to pull you away from central service, but thank you for your prayers. It is, um, yeah, just so much appreciated. So today, we are continuing our series on Luke. And I will admit, when I received the passage for today, I was a bit like, "Mm, it's the birth of Jesus. That's a Christmas story. And I, I... If I'm honest, I was a bit like, okay, why are we doing a Christmas story a month late? And I think it's one of those passages that I've heard probably every year, every December, for most of my life. And I think I'm probably guilty of skim reading it. But as I prayed over it, mulled over it, and just read it time and time again in preparation for today, I realize that it is such an important passage. And my prayer is today that as we reflect on it, God will open our eyes to the wonder of what he has done, becoming human and dwelling amongst his people in order that we can live in relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? So without further ado, I'm going to read the passage. So it's Luke 2, verse 1 to 20. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So what we read about here is the story of Jesus' birth the angels telling the shepherds the good news, them visiting Jesus and their response in sharing what they had seen. It's a story of how God uses ordinary people to fulfill his promises. And this is what we're going to be focusing on today. But first, we will look at the significance of the story and in particular, why and how he came. So why did he come? I have a friend who I will call Sarah. Sarah had a nice life. She had everything on paper that she always wanted. She had friends. She had a husband, a good house, a good job, a house, children. But deep down, she was struggling with anxiety and low self-worth. Something some of us might be able to relate to. So I became good friends with Sarah and Um, As we were hanging out one day, I felt prompting to talk to her about my faith. She opened up to me that whenever she walked past a church building, she was filled with this kind of strange sense of peace, she called it. I asked her questions, and we talked, and we talked. And I invited her to explore whether that peace could be found in the person of Jesus, and we did Alpha together. And to cut a long story short... She started to pursue a relationship with God. She went from feeling hopeless to feeling a, to having a hope that wasn't self-taught or self-motivated. Now this couldn't have happened without a story of a savior coming to earth as we have read about today. What Sarah experienced in the form of peace is exactly the peace that is described in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. The people in the Bible needed a saviour, and today is no different. We need a a saviour too. And I guess everyone in this room knows that, otherwise we wouldn't be here. But why is it that this story is the answer? We can often think, if I can be successful enough, if I can earn enough, if I can get married, if I can have kids, or if I cannot have kids, if I can deal with my issues, if I can just. We think success at some level is the answer, whether that's making a name for ourselves or having wealth in some area. Robbie Williams, the famous singer, says this, everybody is intoxicated with the thought of what fame is. Even though the examples are all around you of people falling down, getting tripped up, becoming mentally ill, deeply unhappy, resentful, agoraphobic, desperate. The wonderful thing about Jesus' birth is that we learn there is a Saviour who has come, so we don't need to save ourselves. He's found in Luke 2, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a manger. This is why this story matters, and it isn't only relevant at Christmas time. The story about Sarah is one of countless examples of people around the world encountering Jesus, and this couldn't happen without him being born as a human, dying, defeating death by rising again. So, to take us back to how important Jesus' birth was, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament which foretell the birth of and life of Jesus. The world then was desperate for a saviour, someone to fulfill the law. Humanity had messed up, and this started with Adam and Eve in Genesis, when Adam ate the forbidden fruit. Ever since then, the Bible details story after story of fallen people and distance from God. Jesus' coming was the answer to what everyone needed, a saviour who could restore our relationship with God. So this story is hugely significant. He was the long-awaited Messiah. So how he came? So Jesus came into a world that was dominated by the Roman Empire. The Jews were very much at the mercy of the Roman rulers at the time. So much so that when Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census to be taken, Mary and Joseph had to trek to Bethlehem to Joseph's hometown. Imagine the inconvenience. Mary was heavily pregnant. It was a long trip around 80 miles, a lot of which was uphill. Let me tell you, going anywhere at nine months pregnant (laughs) is not fun. You ache in places you didn't know existed. Imagine her knowing she was going to give birth imminently, but without an idea of where she would be. But God in his sovereignty allowed this and orchestrated it in order to fulfill scripture. A census that was determined by Caesar Augustus enabled Mary and Joseph to be in exactly the right place at the right time. One of the prophecies in the Old Testament was this, Micah 5 verse 2, "'But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel.'" whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This is an important lesson for us because God uses man-made systems and structures to bring about his purposes. To Mary and Joseph, this may have felt like an inconvenient detour. They may not have understood. But God was ahead of them every step of the way. Maybe there are circumstances in your life that you don't understand. But we can look at Scripture and see that God is working even when we don't understand or see it. And perhaps today is an opportunity for us to place our trust in him again. Now, you'd think if God really wanted to bring Jesus into the world, he would have done it in a very fancy way. Roll out the red carpet. Maybe he would have been born somewhere like this with lots of royal attendants. He would, of course, be born into wealth. Because to get noticed, you need to have wealth, power, and influence, right? So you'd think God would pick somewhere grand as Jesus' birthplace. You'd also think he'd get the powers of the day involved too, to make sure everyone knew the Messiah had come. No. (laughs) He was born into obscurity in a manger by no-name parents, an unheard-of carpenter, and an unknown maiden who weren't anybody special in society. Talk about an anticlimax. It was all very ordinary and actually quite humiliating. It was a place where animals stayed. Imagine the smell, the creepy crawlies, the lack of privacy. If the God who can orchestrate Mary and Joseph being in the right place at the right time can do anything Why would it be his will for Jesus to be born in a shed wrapped in rags? My contention is this. He came to save the poor and those who knew their need of a saviour. He was born in a place where the poor would feel at home and welcome. If he'd been born into a palace, he would exclude the very people he came to save. There are no barriers to knowing Jesus, and a stable was somewhere anyone could come to. Jesus is a gift for us all, rich or poor, happy or unhappy, and he positions himself in a way that makes himself available to all of us. So Jesus being born into poverty is utterly relevant for us, because in in some way we are all poor, whether we admit it or not. When Jesus chose Mary to give birth to Jesus in a humble shed and share it first with regular unknown shepherds, he redefined what power and authority look like. This is great news for us because we don't need to believe the lie that achieving, striving and hustling will save us. More on this later. So we know that instead of using the elite, he uses regular people like Mary, Joseph and shepherds. But why would God do this? If we go back in time, we can see God has a track record of using normal people and normal circumstances to bring about his purposes. We know from the passage that Joseph comes from the line of David. David was king over Israel and a prominent figure in the Bible. But he too came from humble beginnings. In fact, in the book of Samuel chapter 1, we read about how David was made king. At the time, Saul was king over Israel and wasn't doing a good job. In fact, God had rejected him as king. And Samuel the prophet was tasked with anointing the next ruler over Israel. So Samuel was told by God to anoint a son of Jesse. And God said he would reveal which son when he arrived. Jesse presented seven of his sons to him. They were the obvious choices. Tall, strapping lads. But Samuel knew it wasn't him then. So he asked Jesse if he had any other sons. He did, but David, Jesse's youngest son, wasn't even an option in Jesse's eyes. He wasn't even invited. In fact, he was outdoors tending the sheep. And as soon as he was brought in from outside, God said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Wow. Wow. The youngest of eight sons in an age when being the eldest was all the rage. By worldly standards, he would never have made the cut. This was a statement. You see, God has a habit of turning norms upside down. Have you ever felt discounted? Overlooked? Well, you are in good company. Just because others might discount you, it doesn't mean God does. If it's his will for you to be in a certain position at a certain time, he will orchestrate it. Just look at David. God repeatedly shows his kingdom is unlike the way of the world. In Joshua 2, he uses prostitute Rahab to rescue God's people. In Judges 6, he chooses Gideon, the weakest of his tribe, to fight the Midianites. With the smallest army... It shows us this, God chooses the ordinary to accomplish extraordinary things. Isn't that exciting? Yes. This is such an encouraging message for us today because we are all ordinary. Sorry, but we are. We can carry around a Messiah complex that we are important and it's up to us to save the day. But deep down, we all know we have some kind of disadvantage whether we admit it or not. Maybe it's social. Maybe it's intellectual, physical or psychological. Maybe you discount yourself because of it. If you do, then you're not alone. There is such hope to come from this story because God is teaching us that he wants to use regular people to fulfill his purposes. So we can be free in our ordinariness, if that's a word. We are too often given the message that we are the sum of our achievements or our worth is based on who we know or that we need to strive to be valued. But the Bible teaches us that we are valued for who we are. And when we say yes to God in recognition of that, he will use us, just like he did with Mary, Joseph and the shepherds. And when we choose this attitude, we're recognizing our dependence on God rather than our dependency on ourselves. So you may be listening to this, and you may be thinking this all very well, but you might be in a season where life is trudging along and you feel very unseen and bored, or like you're being obedient in a very glamorous way. Can I reassure you that it is really good to be in this season? We learn and grow most in the ordinary. Jesus was a regular carpenter for 90% of his life. I think this is an important point. We need to stop, stop glamorizing the extraordinary to the detriment of the consistently faithful. It's in the ordinary that our faith grows, our character grows, and deep foundations are planted. If that's you, know that you are seen in this ordinary place. We see you and God sees you. I, As David said, I have three children and I have spent a lot of the time over the past 10 years at home with them. Just to be real, there have been times where I have felt unseen and invisible in this season. I watched as my peers got promotions, new jobs, more money, recognition, status. And I was at home picking shreddies off the floor which had been flung to the ground when wet and then moulded themselves to the ground, which are really hard to get off. (laughs) I found it isolating and lonely at times. I knew God had a purpose, but sometimes I didn't see it. It can be so hard being in the mundane and ordinary, but it is in this place that our faith grows and is stretched the most. Maybe you felt this acutely in the pandemic when you were cooped up at home with days blending into each other and nothing to look forward to. Or maybe you have a job that is so full-on but boring and you long to escape. It's in those places that God is. He delights in being welcomed into those dreary moments. There may also be times when God marks out a season for us to be used in extraordinary ways, just like Mary, Joseph and the shepherds. And it really is good news. When we are being used by him in extraordinary ways, there can be incredible fruit that comes from it. It can lead to lives being transformed, businesses thriving, society being renewed and people finding faith for the first time it is to be celebrated and we thank God for those times and a few principles for when this happens firstly God intervenes they didn't force it to happen when it's God's timing and his will we can trust that he will bring it to pass at the appointed time check out the story of David Esther Moses if you want examples of this secondly humility wins I love Mary's response to the angel in chapter 1 when he told her she would do this crazy thing and give birth to the saviour of the world. She said, I am the Lord's servant. That was the first thing she said. She responded in humility and that is an excellent challenge for us. And my encouragement today is for us to watch our hearts when we're being used in significant ways. How easy is it to believe the lie that this is all our doing and that we got ourselves to where we, did, where we are? Yes, we did, but it is also 100% God's grace. And when we recognize that, it takes the pressure off. When we make it about us and our achievement, it can become our identity. And when we do this, fear of failure, performance anxiety, and pride become real risks. But when we recognize we are living under God's grace, we can be free to give ourselves wholeheartedly to our situation with a dependence on God as the one who sustains us and gives us grace moment to moment. So back to the story in verse 20, after they'd seen Jesus, the shepherds praised and glorified God. What I found interesting was that they didn't praise or comment on Mary and Joseph. I think this is an important point to catch. We live in a culture where comparison is second nature. It's really hard not to compare ourselves with others, especially when we think they're doing better than us. On Instagram, there's a comparison coach with 62,000 followers. It can be the default setting. We look at what someone else is doing and we either envy them or we pity them. And both are dangerous because both of them damage our souls. We stop seeing ourselves as we should, and we fall into pride, or we end up idolizing someone who was never meant to be idolized. And as I was preparing this, I really felt God speak to me about this and say he wants to bring freedom from our need to compare ourselves. It saps us of our joy and peace, and this isn't his intention for us. When we're freed of, our, freed of our need to compare, we can see God using others, and our response will be to praise God for the grace He has given them. And one thing I do when I catch myself comparing, I try and say a quick prayer God, thank you for what you're doing in their life, bless it. Because when I pray blessing, it changes my heart and my attitude. I start to see them how God sees them and it takes me from being on opposing side to the same side and it encourages unity. We see in the story there was a response from the shepherds and Mary and Joseph to what God had done. The shepherds went and made it known. Remember the shepherds weren't royalty They didn't have much power or influence in the eyes of the world. They were just doing their job, and God used them to share this extraordinary story for the first time. The story didn't end there. This is why it is so important to share our faith. Now, the shepherds didn't give a theological explanation for why Jesus was born. They shared their experience, and we can learn from this. When we're open about our faith, we don't need fancy words or deep theological understanding. We just need to share our story. Let me tell you what happened. I was looking for happiness, and I found true peace and joy in the person of Jesus. This takes the pressure off us. And in my experience, people are way more receptive for me sharing my story than if I'm going to preach at them. And then we see that Mary's response was reflective. She treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. I've often thought, why did she do this? I'm reminded of King Solomon's words in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. When we treasure God's promises, answers to prayers, encouragements, we are reminding ourselves of his goodness. And when troubles come, we have them in our hearts and minds. How can we ponder them in our hearts? By reminding ourselves of God's goodness to us. Pray them, thank God for them, journal them, talk about them, ruminate on them. What would happen if we spent more of our time ruminating on God's goodness? How much less time would there be for anxiety and worry? So we've looked at why Jesus came, how he came, what this means for us and why it's good news. And I want to give another opportunity to pray today because I feel like there are people here that God wants to set free. Firstly, those of you who've been le- believing a lie that God can't use you, maybe you feel disadvantaged in some way. I believe God wants to set us free from that. And those of you who can see that God is using you in an extraordinary way and it feels scary, I believe God wants to c- empower you, saying it is in his, his strength, not yours. Be free of the pressure to perform. And those of you who feel enslaved by comparison, God wants us to be free of that. So I'm going to leave the passage up on screen, Natalie. If you could just tinker in the background for a bit, I'm just going to leave, <laughs> fancy words. I'm just going to leave a bit of time for us to reflect on what we've heard. I realise there might have been quite a lot of content in that, and I think it's, it really helps us sometimes when we just take a moment to be still and reflect. And maybe God has been speaking to you about something this morning. And so we're going to take a bit of time, just a few moments, and then I will come back and pray for us. Close your eyes, hold out your hands as a way of receiving from God. Holy Spirit, would you come? God, I thank you for your goodness. We praise you this morning. Why don't you tell God what you want from him in this moment? He knows. He knows you inside out. Come Holy Spirit. Lord God, I thank you that you chose us. I thank you that we are so valuable in your sight before anything we do. You're a God who loves us and pursues us. And I thank you that you are pursuing us this morning. And we say this morning, we want you to use us whatever season we're in, whether we're feeling just bored and in the ordinary or whether we know that we are being stretched and used in extraordinary ways. God, I pray for your grace over us in this season. God, I thank you that it is 100% you that is behind it. And we pray for grace. We pray for strength. We pray for boldness. And whatever it is holding us back, whether it's shame, whether it's fear, disappointment in ourselves, God, we break that in Jesus' name. We declare freedom this morning. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom from the barriers holding us back. Some of us know it's actually us, we're holding ourselves back. And my sense is God is saying, Go in my strength, not yours. Be free of comparison. You don't need to look at what anyone else is doing, you just need to look up. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing. Bless it, Lord Jesus. Amen.